1902, President Theodore Roosevelt took a bear hunting trip in Mississippi at the invitation of the governor. Roosevelt was an avid big game hunter, but luck wasn't on his side this trip. The president's assistants were able to capture a bear and tie it to a tree for him to shoot, but Roosevelt deemed the move unsportsmanlike and refused. After a cartoon appeared in the Washington Post depicting the incident, a candy shop owner in Brooklyn created a stuffed bear and named it after the president. Thus, the teddy bear was born. The stuffed animals were an overnight sensation, and their popularity has endured ever since, not only as toys, but as symbols of love and comfort. The soldiers took teddy bears overseas while fighting in the First and Second World Wars. Sick children were gifted them during hospital stays. In 1995, hundreds were dispatched to Oklahoma City to help heal a community reeling from tragedy. And at least one of those bears has continued that mission. I'm Erica Grotto. This is Survived By. This one time, this one time, I don't want to be alone. On April 19th, 1995, it was a perfect spring morning, much like um, many spring days in Oklahoma City. It was a gorgeous morning. The hundreds had just met downtown in a mayor's prayer breakfast. People were going about their day at work. That's Kerry Watkins, president and CEO of the Oklahoma City National Memorial and Museum. She's telling me a story she's probably told hundreds, if not thousands of times. At 9.02 a.m. on April 19, 1995, a homemade bomb left inside a rider truck exploded outside of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building. The men behind the attack were two former American soldiers, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. They built this 4,000-pound bomb in the back of a rider truck. Um, McVeigh drove the truck down that morning. He'd already parked his car outside of a block away, and he detonated the bomb, got out of the truck, went to his car, headed north on I-35. The bomb went off, killing, killing 168 people, injuring hundreds, uh, and the rescue teams came you know, immediately and were heroic in their efforts. But... It really was an attack on the federal government, an extremist attack uh, on the government because they um, were trying to figure out how to bring the government down. At a prayer service four days later, hundreds of attendees clutched teddy bears as they mourned the 168 people who had died in the blast. The following year, one of those teddy bears had a new purpose. It arrived in my hometown of Montoursville, Pennsylvania, after 21 members of our community died in the crash of TWA Flight 800. The attached note said the bear had been sent to the people of Oklahoma City after the bombing. He was meant to comfort and heal, the note said. He has done well here. I now send him to you to continue his job. But this bear's journey didn't begin in Oklahoma. Its story began with a simple phone call from one person reaching out to another and asking, how can I help? When McVeigh and Nichols hatched their plot, Kathy Keating's husband, Frank, had been governor of Oklahoma only three months. She was still working on moving her family into the governor's mansion when the news broke that Wednesday morning. I was in Tulsa, our hometown, uh, meeting the movers because um, we had sold our house and um, I was meeting the movers because everything was going into storage. I got a phone call. Uh, shortly after, gosh, probably 9-10, and one of my dear friends in Oklahoma City called and said, are you watching uh, 
the TV? And I said, no. She said, have you spoken to Frank, my husband? And I said, no. And she said, turn on the television. And so I learned like everybody else learned uh, by turning on the TV. Keating couldn't reach her husband, who was already on his way to the bombing site. She had a full schedule already, but she picked up the phone right away to see what assistance she could provide. The highway patrol, who is my security, called and said, what do you want us to do? And uh, I said, I'm going to, I'd gotten dressed because I had a speech that morning as well in Tulsa. I said, I want to go talk to those people in Tulsa on my way to Oklahoma City so uh, we can get them involved in their whatever rescue and recovery is needed. And I headed back to Oklahoma City and started making phone calls, trying to, uh, you know, raise money to get water down to the site, uh, to take care of some of the needs that the highway patrol was filtering back to me, uh, the unmet needs for the rescue workers and the volunteers who were on this site. But the truth is, Erica, by the time I had made those phone calls um, to different vendors at Target and Walmart and some of our grocery stores, they already had more of everything than they needed. They had more people at the blood bank than they needed because the radios and the TVs were calling for help and people wanted to step up and help. The Keatings spent most of the afternoon at the bombing site. As evening set, the governor stayed behind while she went home and did what I have to imagine people all over the country were doing, wondering how in the world she could help. She was in a unique position as the First Lady of Oklahoma, but she was young, new to the job, and unsure of her place. I was talking to a good friend, and I said, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm helpless. You know, a governor is elected, a First Lady is just, or a spouse, is just married to the governor. And there is no specific job description. You, you have to create your own. Her friend asked, what would you do if you weren't first lady? What would you do if you were back in Tulsa? And suddenly Keating's answer became clear. I said, we would have a prayer service or a memorial or a vigil. Um, and she said, there's your answer. Planning began that night with a group of five people, and four days later, the memorial took place. And it was no small prayer vigil, but more on that later. Early Thursday morning, Keating got a surprise phone call from someone who knew what it was like to be a first lady new to the job. Frank and I had both been up all night long, and I had just come back home to shower for the day, and uh, the phone rang from the security, and they said, uh, they called me First Lady. They said, First Lady, uh, the First Lady of Illinois is on the phone. Brenda Edgar, would you like to speak with her? And, you know, remember, I'm brand new. I had met her at the first National Governors Association conference, but I didn't know her. And we had not yet built a friendship. And so I answered the phone and uh, uh, she said, you know, Kathy, I'm so sorry. How can I help? And I said, oh, Brenda, I don't know. Uh, I said, I don't know yet. But Brenda Edgar had an idea. As part of her own First Lady project, she'd worked with Marshall Fields department stores to develop a teddy bear known as PJ Huggaby. 
For each bear sold in an Illinois Marshall Field store, one was donated to the Department of Children and Family Services for children taken into protective custody. When they get into the car with the police officer or the highway patrolman, they're given the teddy bear to help calm them down. And I would like to send teddy bears to all the parents who's lost the child. And I said, well, Brenda, that's really sweet. But first of all, we don't know how many children uh, have yet died. We know how many have been recovered. They're adult parents who have lost adult children and there are children who have lost parents. And I think if we're gonna send a teddy bear to one, we have to send a teddy bear to all. And she said, well, how many are you thinking about? I said, well, I don't know. She said, well, just throw out a number. And so I just randomly threw out 250. Brenda Edgar promised to do what she could. And the following morning, Keating was at the bombing site when the phone rang again. The governor's mansion called and they said, we have several Federal Express uh, trucks lined up and they want to come in. They have a delivery for you. And I said, a delivery for me? And they said, yes. And I said, have you asked them what they are? They had to ask twice. They misunderstood them the first time. And um, anyway, they said, we have 250 bears. And so they called and said, where do you want me to put these? <laughs> and, and it was raining. It was pouring down rain. It was cold. And I said, in the garage, in the house, in the basement, wherever you can fit them. And I said, I'll figure it out. But a mere 24 hours later, with one day to go until the memorial, Keating realized that Edgar's gift, generous as it was, wasn't going to be enough. We had a, uh, a meeting at 10 o'clock on Saturday morning that we were distributing tickets for this prayer service because we wanted, first and foremost, all the family members to uh, have the best seats in the house, number one, and make sure that they could all get in. We had to have this at the fairgrounds because the convention center was uh, being occupied by FEMA and rescue workers. And that would have been the other obvious place uh, to have something of this scale. And we ran out of tickets out of after 10 minutes. And they called and they said, we need 250 more tickets. And I said, we need 250 more bear. Getting another shipment of bears wasn't easy. Edgar told Keating that all the bears were in the Marshall Fields warehouse, which was closed for the weekend. She wasn't sure whether there were even 250 to be had, but Keating was undeterred. I said, if you get the bears, I'll get them here. By chance, Keating had a phone number for Herb Kelleher, the CEO of Southwest Airlines at the time. Now with a purpose to keep her going, she dialed. I called him and I said, I've never met you. Um, I'm Frank Keating's wife, the governor of Oklahoma, and I need your help. And he said, you name it, I'll do it. No questions asked. He sent a plane up, put the bears on the plane, brought the plane back Sunday morning. They'd already done the sweep and the scan because the president and First Lady were coming, Billy Graham was coming to this memorial service, all the cabinet secretaries who 
had lost people uh, in the Murrah building or whose people had not been yet discovered. Um, and here came an additional 250 bears that each of the bears had to be individually scanned before the memorial. As family members came into the memorial, they received a bear. You can see them in the arms of audience members on the broadcast, still available in its entirety online. Front and center in the audience are President Bill Clinton and First Lady Hillary Rodham Clinton. To the president's left are two men, both holding teddy bears, and then Kathy and Frank Keating. The featured speaker was famed evangelist Billy Graham, whom Keating had been able to connect with via George W. Bush and his wife, Laura, then the governor and First Lady of Florida. They also attended the event. Sitting right next to me was the husband of the Secret Service uh, 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 assistant, Dan McKinney, and he was holding this bear so tightly like this during the service with his head back and tears flooding down his face and his body was quivering and I could feel it because we were all you know, really close together, squeezed together. And this, that picture became an iconic picture uh, was on all the front pages in the newspaper. And at that point, this bear, bear became a symbol of hope and healing uh, across the world. And it was because of, you know, one person's act of kindness. Uh, and Brenda Edgar who, Edgar, who picked up the phone and said, how can I help? So anybody who tells me one person can't make a difference, I go, oh, no, no, no. I have so many stories, none quite as spectacular as Brenda's uh, generosity, but, um, and that story has legs that traveled to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's so wonderful. I also love that, that um, just the governor's wives, first ladies supporting each other and being able to reach out and say, I'm feeling helpless too. And I want to do something. How can I help you? Um, that's, that's a really, that's a really beautiful thing. Erica, for the whole eight years, Frank was uh, uh, governor of Oklahoma. That was exactly how it was with not only uh, first ladies, but governors. Um, you know, we were all trying to do the best we could for our states. And sure, we would know some people were Republicans, some were Democrats. Uh, one was an independent, but the truth is we were all there to do a job and that was to make our state the best state they possibly could be. There wasn't this political um, dissension that is uh, evident today. It was a very special time in American history that I'm really fortunate to have been a part of. Kathy Keating is cool and composed as she addresses the thousands filling the Oklahoma State Fair Arena. She doesn't look exhausted, though I know she must have been. Both she and her husband are the picture of gravity and strength. But her voice begins to crack just for a moment when she talks about how the bombing has affected the children of their community. It's a terrible crime to steal a child's trust in the goodness of humanity, she says. We have to hold our children close through the nightmares to come. When President Clinton speaks, he reads an excerpt from a letter he received from a woman who lost her husband in the bombing of Pan Am Flight 103 in 1988. In it, she offers advice to the grieving. The loss you feel must not paralyze your own lives, he reads. Instead, you must try to pay tribute to your loved ones by continuing to do all the things they've left undone. 
thus ensuring they did not die in vain. It's impossible to identify which person in the crowd felt moved to send their bear to Montoursville 15 months later, but that doesn't mean I didn't try. Was it Dan McKinney, that man who'd been next to Kathy Keating, sobbing and quivering with grief? Was it his stepson, Jason Smith, who'd sat holding his bear with one hand and clutching Bill Clinton's hand with the other? Could it have been the woman shown on TV walking out of the ceremony carrying a bear like an infant? I have so many questions, and if you're out there, I'd love to hear from you. Keating has a bear from the memorial. She showed it to me when we talked on Zoom in the summer of 2022. The museum also has one on display, and Watkins says it's a popular artifact. People love it. Kids can, you know, gravitate to it. Adults will gravitate to it. Uh, it was great to show Mrs. Edgar the, the, the bear when she came through many, several years ago. And um, I think, you know, a simple act of kindness goes a long way. And I think that is the bear is a kind of kind of a re, you know, resembles or, or stands for that simple act of kindness. And they're hard to come by. I mean, people even 27 years later, I don't want to part with them. We have uh, one, we maybe have two, but with those kinds of materials in a museum, you typically switch those out so that they don't get too frail with the light and the different heat and air and all that. And that's just one of our, you know, how we best practices of how we care for an object. And so um, very important that we um, are able to take care of those. And so people will begin to turn those in at some point when they begin to give collections, but people do that on their own time and you can't really dictate them. But the bears are only a symbol and comfort is only one part of the museum's mission. The long-term goal is to bring people together to find nonviolent ways to resolve conflicts, or as Watkins puts it, find common ground on sacred ground. The senselessness of the act is what we, is kind of part of our mission. The senselessness of violence, if there are ways to, resolve differences besides these violent acts. And um, we've got, as I said, to start, we've got to figure out how to come together and find common ground. How do you frame that message when there's so much happening that that is counter to it? Well, I think we've got to decide. I mean, we as a country have to decide, are we going to continue to listen to the noise? Are we going to make that noise constructive and positive and work through our differences. We don't, we don't want, we know everyone's not going to agree, but how can I sit down with people who thought it was okay to go charge the United States Capitol on January 6th? I mean, how can I sit down with them and, and meet in the middle? Or how can I hear what their, their issues are? How can they hear my issues? You know, how do we get past the noise to, to the conversations? And having these better conversations is one of our biggest programs. And one of the things we're really working on is trying to sit down or be on Zoom or be on, uh, you know, Facebook and do these chats with people so that we can have calm, civil discussions about um, whatever the subject matter is that people need to work through. That's a big goal. And one Watkins acknowledges is very hard. But to not even try, she says would be a disservice to the victims. These are powerful stories. These are, these are important events to remember and to teach. Um, and we don't think you can remember without teaching, and we're not going to teach without remembering. And so we're not going to talk about the perpetrators of this crime without talking about the victims in which those criminals uh, interrupted and destroyed lives. And so 
it goes hand in hand. And it's something we work really hard on day, day by day. As for Keating, the attack on the federal building changed the course of her time as first lady and of her life. The morning of the explosion, she'd struggled to find her place as the wife of a new governor. Four days later, she knew exactly what she wanted to do. As we were leaving uh, the memorial service, uh, I turned to Frank and I said, I know what my job is here. I said, I'm going to do a book and the book's going to tell, tell it from our perspective. It's going to be first person narrative from the Oklahoman's perspective of what has happened. Because you, know, you see these books that other people from out of state will come in and write about, you know, a tragedy or whatnot. But they don't really capture the heart of the, uh, necessarily capture the heart of what you've experienced. So Keating led that project, a book titled In Their Name, published later that year. In 2020, she and her husband released a second book called Love One, featuring children's drawings and notes of sympathy received in the aftermath of the bombing. Like Watkins, she hopes the museum's work helps bring people together so others don't have to endure the grief and trauma that comes with living through a public act of violence. In the meantime, though, there are always stories of hope, and there are always teddy bears. A voice is strong.